Please to sit. As you came in, uh, in your bulletin, you should have received one of these two ways to live uh, booklets. If you didn't get one of these, the ushers have them. I'd like you to have one. I'm going to talk about this during the sermon. So if you need one of these, put your hand up and uh, ushers are walking around and they'll make sure that you get one. If you didn't get one. Okay. Keep your hand up and we'll get some more over to you in a second. Yeah. I've got some over here in the middle. Um, so this uh, coming week, we have our Good Friday service. Emily mentioned that and there's a um, uh, an article that I wrote about that in the uh, the, the RGC Connect. I, I did want to just just give you just a, a little um, uh, insight into this special Good Friday service. It's called a tenebrae service. The word tenebrae means shadows or darkness. And for many, many centuries, churches have had these special tenebrae services on Good Friday. The idea being at the end of the service, we will go through a series of readings from the Gospels uh, uh, walking us through Jesus' suffering, crucifixion, and death. And after each one of the seven readings, there'll be a candle. There'll be seven candles burning. And after each one of the readings, one of the candles will be put out. And after the last reading, it'll be the last candle will be put out. And we'll leave differently than we normally do. We'll leave without a benediction. We'll leave in silence, remembering what happened to our Lord on the cross and waiting for Sunday when we come back to celebrate the resurrection. So if you can make it on Friday at 7, I hope you'll come, and I hope you'll invite someone to come. This morning, we are circling back into Romans chapter 10. Uh, we're reading Romans 10, 14, and 15, right before uh, the end of the break when the RGC Connect was up there with the text. Leslie leaned over next to me, and she said, two measly verses? Is that it? <laughs> now, she can say that because she's my biggest supporter and fan, and I so appreciate her. But yes, two measly verses, that's all we're doing this morning. And there's a design behind that because, like all of Scripture, this is God's voice to us. And two verses is all we need to encounter the great and living God. And these verses we wanted to return to because we think they will uh, encourage us and strengthen us in our, in our mission to the world and in our vision to be a Christ-exalting community. So these are two sweet verses, Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let me just read that once more. But how are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Pray with me, please. Oh God, as we quiet our hearts before you, your word in front of us this morning. We remember you are the great preacher. The heavens declare the glory of God. You preach to us from the skies. You preach to us from creation. You preach to us from the scriptures. You preach to us most powerfully in Christ. And we pray, O oh God, 
Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We pray, O oh God, show us your glory. We pray, O oh God, captivate our hearts. Deliver us from the small things that distract us and capture our hearts and imaginations during the week and fix our eyes upon Christ and his great coming kingdom and the glorious and good news of the gospel. The joy of receiving it and the blessing and privilege of sharing it with others. We ask for your presence and your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a story to get the service started here. And in order to do that, I want to show you a picture. And this is a picture from the Vietnam War. So it's a, it's a war picture. Uh, I just want you to be prepared. It's a graphic picture. It's also an iconic picture. This picture was taken in 1972. And this is a photograph that I really think it shook our nation. I don't think that's an, that's an overstatement. The time, obviously, is the time of the Vietnam War. The scene is in South Vietnam. This is a nine-year-old girl in the center there fleeing a bomb that you can see behind her. It's this napalm bomb that's gone off. Her name is Kim. The clothes have been burned off her body. Her arms are outstretched. She is obviously shrieking in terror. Other children are equally terrified. The strangers, excuse me, the soldiers behind her are sort of strangely expressionless. And as we look at this image, you might wonder what happened to Kim. Against all odds, Kim survived, but she endured relentless suffering from both the trauma of the experience and the burns themselves. Here's a picture of Kim today. Ten years after this picture, that, that first picture was taken, she was a 19-year-old young lady living in Vietnam. She says that she was crippled by anger, resentment, bitterness. She craved relief from those things and from the burns themselves, which continue to afflict her to this day. Her religion, she says, taught her that all religions are pretty much the same. You can call on any God you want to. We were, she says, equal opportunity worshipers. But she says she found no peace in calling on various gods. And she says something very interesting about that moment in her life at 19. She said, the burden of success in religion rested atop my weary, slumped shoulders. The burden of success in religion rested upon my weary, slumped shoulders. So one day, she found herself in the library in Vietnam, at the religious books section, and she was pulling down one after another, leafing through them, and she found there a New Testament. And in the New Testament, she found the Gospels, the stories about Jesus. And in those Gospels, she began reading about Jesus, and she found two things that surprised her. One is that Jesus says, there is only one way to God, and he is that way. The second is that Jesus suffered. She noticed that he was mocked, tortured, and killed. And she wondered, could this wounded one heal her? So here's her story in her own words from that moment forward. She says, my salvation experience happened, fittingly enough, on Christmas Eve. It was 1982, and I was attending a special worship service at a small church in Saigon. The pastor spoke about how Christmas is not about the gifts that we give to each other so much as it is about one gift in particular, 
the gift of Jesus Christ. As I listened to this message, I knew that something was shifting inside me. How desperately I needed peace. How ready I was for love and joy. I had so much hatred in my heart, so much bitterness. I wanted to let go of all my pain. I wanted to pursue life instead of holding fast to fantasies of death. I wanted this Jesus. So when the pastor finished speaking, I stood up, stepped out into the aisle, and made my way to the front of the sanctuary to say yes to Jesus. When I woke up that Christmas morning, I experienced the kind of healing that can come only from God. I was finally at peace. Looking back now, she writes, there is nothing greater or more powerful than the love of our blessed Savior. Those bombs, she writes, that brought so much suffering also brought healing. Those bombs led me to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? When someone finds forgiveness, peace, salvation in Jesus Christ, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? We just want to think this morning about how that happens. You know, when you stop and think about it, this message of the gospel is communicated through human beings. People just like us. It was human beings who wrote those gospel accounts, eyewitnesses and apostles who wrote those accounts that Kim read. It was human beings who gathered in that little church in Saigon. It was a human being who told that good news about Jesus. What kind of human beings do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be? We aspire to be a people who bring good news to people like him. That's our vision. That's our aspiration. That's our mission as a community. People come to faith through people who share their faith. It's a very simple system that God has set up. People come to faith through people who share their faith. Now, alarms may be going off in the auditorium. Is this the part where the pastor Label, ladens more, label, what's the word? Ladles more guilt on everyone for not doing enough. The, the second guilt-motivated announcement of the morning. No, not going to happen here. We want to be motivated in all that we do by the grace of God, by the love that we've received from God that results in love for God and love for neighbor. 
But as we think about sharing our faith this morning, it's not an easy thing to think about, is it? It can be a scary topic. You might think, well, I'm all for people sharing their faith as long as it's somebody else. <laughs> Let the extroverts do that. Let the professionals do that. Let the gifted people do that, the experts. I'm too busy for this. I don't have something, I don't have time to think about something new in my life. And we, we can hear voices in our heads saying, well, and who are you anyway to impose your values on someone else? So it's good for us from time to time to just slow down and remember that, you know, we wouldn't be gathered here this morning, this morning worshiping Christ at peace with God, having hope of eternal life if someone hadn't shared that good news with us, right? So this morning, I just want to remind you of this simple fact, and we're just going to talk about it from these verses. The message of the gospel is communicated through human beings because people come to faith through people who share their faith. And this passage shows us how this good news spreads through human beings like us. Let me just paraphrase the passage and, and retell it with Kim's story in here. But how can Kim call for help if she doesn't know who to trust? And how can she know who to trust if she's never heard of this Jesus who can be trusted? And how can she hear if no one tells her? And how is anyone going to tell her unless they're sent? That's the idea. So we're going to take these questions, these five hows that come to us in this passage, and we're going to just work our way through them this morning. First, we're just ask this question, how will they call? That's where the text starts. How will they call? How are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to call? So we're kind of working backwards in a chain that starts with sending and ends with calling. So we're working backwards from calling. What does it mean to call? Well, if you look at verse 13, just... Just before it, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so calling on the Lord is what happens when faith becomes expressed in a saving way to God. So we're talking about how people enter into the kingdom of God, how people become Christians. How do people become Christians? Well, it's, it's not by growing up in a Christian home. It's not by going to church or reading a Bible. It's by calling on Christ. As Kim said, it's saying yes to Jesus. What does that, what does that mean? Think, just think with me for a moment about calling. I'll give you an example. We have squirrels in our attic at home. I've tried everything I know to get rid of the squirrels, and after two weeks I finally gave up and called the pest control service. Oscar came and talked to us yesterday. He told us, a price, how they can get rid of the squirrels. He sounded very knowledgeable and experienced in this practice. Okay, so I've got squirrels in my attic, and I've got a guy who knows how to get rid of them, but at this moment, nothing has changed because all I have is information. I've got a problem and information. Until I say, Oscar, you're hired, I've still got the squirrels in my attic. And so yesterday I said, Oscar, you're hired. Get going, right? I called on the name of Oscar to get rid of the squirrels. <laughs> Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
So to call on the name of Jesus, you need to have come to a place of trusting in Jesus, which is what saving faith is. And so that's the next question back in the chain. How will they call? Well, before that, before you can call, you must believe. So we want to ask this question. How will they believe? How will they believe? Think about the word here, faith, believe. Knowing facts about Jesus is important, isn't it? It's vital. Knowing what God has to say to humanity in his word, in the Bible, is important. It's vital. But knowing and believing aren't the same thing. Just reading the Bible doesn't save anyone. Just knowing the facts about Jesus doesn't save anyone. Demons know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't do them any good. Faith is required. Now, what is faith? Well, it's more than simply having information. It's doing something with that information. It's, be, it's a growing confidence in the truth of what you've been hearing. Right? So in this case, it's, the, it's a confidence in the truth and the reality of this good news about Jesus. It means to trust in him in a way that results in calling out to him for salvation. And if you're here in trouble this morning, continuing to call out to him and rest in him and receive him and trust him throughout our lives. And so before we can call, we must believe. But before we believe, something else needs to happen. What's that? Here's the third question. How will they hear? How will they hear? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Now, what is it that they need to hear? Well, down in verse 14 or 15, we saw how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news or preach good news. The gospel, this word that we love, the gospel, the gospel in Romans 1.16, which is the power of salvation for all who believe, the gospel is news. It's good news. So here's the question. If the gospel is news, what's written in the article? What is it? What is the news? What are the paragraphs? What does it open with? What does it close with? You know, I have the privilege of Um, meeting with people who are interested in becoming members of our church. And when we have those meetings, I like to always ask this question. What is the gospel? And can you tell me in two minutes or less, what is the gospel? So do you know the news? Do you know the gospel? If somebody asked you this afternoon, what is the gospel you were hearing about at church today? Can you explain it? Do you have the basic facts of the gospel And sometimes we can find ourselves in moments like that tongue-tied. We might have grown up in church. We might know a lot about God. We might know a lot about the Bible, but not have a simple way to explain what is this news. So what you have in front of you, there's two ways to live if you want to take this out. I want to just walk with you. I have a simple brain. I like pictures. This has six pictures in it that tells us the gospel story in six simple pictures. So I want to just take you through that. Here is what we need to hear in order to believe in order to call on the Lord. It's the Bible story in six simple pictures. Here's the first picture. The heading here is God, the loving ruler and creator. So I want you to notice the the sphere there. That's the earth, okay? And then there's a human being there. And what is that human being standing under? Well, standing under this big crown. That's representative of God's 
authority and God's authorship, His creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if you want to tell somebody the good news about Jesus, the place to start is where the Bible starts, where God starts. We have to know who God is. We have to know something about God and that we are created beings living in his world. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. So we are not here by accident. We are here by design, the design of a loving and ruling Creator. That's the first bit of news that we need to know in order to know the gospel. The second piece of news is the bad news. This is where things go wrong. This is humanity in rebellion. Notice the, 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 the movement of the crown. Okay, the, the human being has stepped out from under God's authority and taken that crown to be his or her own. So here's the, here's the thing. We live in God's world, right? This is a world that God has made. We're made to, to delight in him, to honor him, to obey him. But we choose to live life on our own terms instead of his terms. We live life without reference to God. We might acknowledge a God of some kind, but it doesn't make any difference in our lives. We live without reference to him. We seek our significance and our happiness from created things rather than from the creator. This is called sin. It's actually a rebellion against a good and loving creator, a good and loving God. So Romans 3.23, all have lived this way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Third, third picture, okay, God won't let people keep on rebelling forever. We can't escape God's authority. God takes our rebellion seriously, and the consequence for our rebellion is death and judgment. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Isn't that unfair? Isn't God kind of mean to do that to people? Why is that okay to do? Well, it's actually, it's not unfair, it is just. And we, we might not like it when we think about ourselves in that place, but we all know how much we love justice when it's for someone else, right? I'll give you an example. You work at a coffee shop. One of your coworkers, the second one on your shift, he's always late, which means you have to do his work until he shows up. He regularly, pretty openly, steals coffee, which he's reselling. He's incredibly disrespectful to your manager. In fact, won't even interact with her, often just ignores her and blows her off altogether. And when you work with this person, then what do you think about this guy? Oh, it's all good. I'm not going to impose my values on him. No, you think, that dude needs to be fired or I want a different shift, right? You know what justice looks like, and you know he's not living under the authority of the store like he's supposed to. Well, it's the same for all of us as we live in God's world. And so God won't let people keep on rebelling forever, but there's more than justice in this story. Here's the surprising twist. Jesus, the man who dies for rebels. This coming Friday is Good Friday. What's so good about Good Friday. Why is it good that an innocent man would die on a cross like this? 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Remember Kim said, 
In her story, she said, I wonder if this wounded one could heal me. Why was Jesus wounded? Why did he suffer? Why was he mocked? Why was he crucified? He was crucified so that the righteous Jesus could bring the unrighteous people like us to God. The cross was no accident. The cross was part of the plan. Christmas leads to the cross. But the cross isn't the end of the story. Easter comes. Without the cross, you can't have Christianity. And so Jesus is the man who dies for rebels. But the good news is, number five, picture number five, Jesus is the risen ruler. Jesus is the risen ruler. And so what we see here, if we can go to the next uh, picture, uh, what we see here is that Jesus Christ has come as a human being to take our place in rising. He rises in defeat of death, in defeat of our enemies, sin and Satan, and he brings about the possibility of being made right with God under the authority of King Jesus. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. By rising from the dead, Jesus conquers our enemies, and by, be, by raising him from the dead, God the Father is saying, mission accomplished, salvation accomplished. So now there's a question for every one of us. There are two ways to live, two ways to live. Not just one, but two ways to live. Our way, who's got the crown? Where is the crown? Who's in charge? Our way is to reject God, the loving and holy ruler, to step out from under his authority, and we live life on our own terms. And we, if we live that way, we'll face the consequences of death and judgment. The other way, the new way is God's way to call on Jesus for salvation, forgiveness, to submit to him as the Lord of our lives, the boss who's in charge of us. And in that, we experience this wonderful new life, and we're sent back into the world with this good news to go share this with other people. So the question for each one here this morning is, where's the crown this morning? Who's got it? Is it on your head? Or is it where it belongs on Christ? If you've stepped out from under God's authority, you may be experiencing the consequences of that already in your life. And the greatest consequence comes at the end of your life. And I just urge you this morning, come to call on Jesus. Come under his authority and receive the gift of forgiveness and new life that's offered to you here in the good news of the gospel. So those are the facts of the gospel. This is what we need to hear in order to believe and call. And prior to then hearing, there are two more questions. The, the next in line is this, how will they preach? How will they preach? So we're asking this question. We've heard there's this news that's out there, but how does it spread? Well, it's kind of a funny system God has set up. If you think about it, there are a lot of ways God could have communicated the good news, right? I mean, there could be this scrolling cloud of Bible words rolling through the sky 24-7, and the Bible from Genesis to Revelation could just be written across there, and you could look up any time, or John 3.16 could be up there all the time. There's lots of ways God could have communicated this, but he's decided that he wants to spread this news through live humans, people like us. 
how will they hear without someone preaching? Now, of course, we need Scripture. Sometimes people do come to faith simply through something that they read. But normally the way this works, as it's described here, is through someone preaching. The word here for preaching is the Greek verb keruso. It means to herald or to proclaim. So in the ancient world, a herald wasn't somebody's first name. It was a thing that someone did. It was a job. Someone had a herald was a person entrusted with a message from someone else. So the heralds were sort of the human newspapers of the ancient world. They didn't have Internet. They didn't have printed newspapers on, on printing presses. And so someone would write, the king would, 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 would say what he wanted the people to know. There'd be an edict or a proclamation, and scribes would write out. And then heralds would go and take the message, and they'd go to city centers, they'd go to the streets, and they would proclaim this message from the higher authority. How will they hear without someone preaching? So we need preachers, right? So there are some preachers who do this vocationally, like me. I have the privilege of doing this. What a joy to have this this vocation. And, And churches need preachers, right? In fact, churches like ours need a succession of preachers in order to be able to continue through generations, which is one of the reasons why, as a congregation, we're pursuing affiliation with the denominations uh, at, at this time in our, in our church life, recognizing that we want to be connected to a supply line of training new vocational preachers for generations to come. But, you know, most preaching isn't done by vocational pastors and elders, You don't need a theology degree to preach the good news. You just need to love your neighbors. And you need to know what the message is and see the opportunity when it's been given by God. Most preaching is done by Christians who simply see an opportunity the Spirit of God is providing and tell someone their story. They tell someone what's happened to them and how Jesus has has come to them. And you know, this time of year, spring, it's a good time of year to just stop and think about this, isn't it? Because if you notice, people are coming out of hibernation. Kids' sports are cranking up. People are mulching like crazy. (laughs) It's a great way to have neighborhood conversation. We mulched our 65 bags a couple weeks ago, and we had lots of conversation with the neighbors in the process. Weren't you encouraged by that story I told you earlier this morning about Kim? Isn't that great? What, what do you suppose would have happened if she never told anyone that story? Think of all the joy that we've experienced this morning and hundreds or thousands of other people have experienced from hearing her story. Maybe, maybe somebody came to know that same Jesus through her story. You know, as you go out from here today, I wonder if somewhere in your week, there's a Kim. I wonder if there's someone out there in your world who's looking for answers, who's ready to hear some good news from a live human. And you know, your story is just as powerful as Kim's because your story really isn't about you. It's about Jesus. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes And it spreads through people just like us. 
and it spreads through people being sent. And that's our last question. How will they be sent? You know, if you read your Bible, there's a lot of sending that goes on in the Bible. Have you noticed that? God sends his son into the world. Christ sends his disciples to the ends of the earth. Churches recognize certain sent ones and send them to faraway places or sometimes close places in order to bring that good news, whether it's to a college campus or to a place like Tokyo. And we have some sent ones. In fact, if you haven't noticed, on your way out, check out in the lobby on the right, just before you get to the doors, there's a map there and then pictures of our sent ones, some of whom are local and some of whom are extra local. I just want to encourage you to be praying for the sent ones. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a sent one? How will they hear, how will they preach unless they are sent? How will they hear without someone to preach, and how will they preach unless they are sent? Are you a sent one? You know, Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Has that been accomplished? Has that been completed? There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus, and there's a lot of people, groups, that have never heard about Jesus. There's a lot of going that still needs to be done. And if it was up to those first apostles to do it, well, then the job's over and, and it's going to be left undone. But, it, but God continues to commission his people to be sent ones. Every disciple of Jesus Christ is a sent one. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus has personally commissioned you to go into your world with this good news. And he knows it's not easy to do. So he said, hey, I'm going to give you power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then with that power, you'll be able to be my witnesses. Witnesses just tell somebody about what they saw. We just, we just tell people about what we've seen in Jesus. We tell people these simple gospel facts. People come to faith through people who share their faith. So spring, April, let's just stop and think, what are some of the opportunities in our world, in our time right now? Where might we have opportunities? We can get so busy, so many things going on. Sometimes it's helpful to just slow down and think, who has God put in my world? Where am I? What opportunities might I have right now? There's a couple of categories that are always easy to think about. One is free food, right? Who doesn't love free food? So maybe you have a open up your, your fire pit for s'mores with the neighbors. Or you invite some coworkers or neighbors over for dinner and invite some friends from church to get to know them too. Or maybe you bring a meal over to a neighbor or a coworker who's had surgery or a baby. Maybe you, when you're there, you just ask, hey, is there any way I could pray for you? The free food route, that's one. Another is just the look around route. Who's God put in your life? Maybe you could join a sports team from work or maybe you can lend your mower to a neighbor in need or maybe there's a volunteer opportunity where you can serve in your community doing stream cleanup or serving at the Lamb Center or something like that. Maybe you could read a spiritual book like The Reason for God with uh, someone that's, that's interested in spiritual things. Third great opportunity is right here. It's church, right? Sunday morning. Children's ministry teachers. You've got a captive audience. 
And you can share this good news every week with little disciples to be because the, the Great Commission extends not only out, but it extends to our children as well. You know, this week, the Good Friday service and the Easter service, these are wonderful opportunities to invite someone to come to church when they normally might not do that. On your way out of the meeting this morning, we're going to give you these very nice invitations. And uh, they're for both services, Good Friday and for Easter. And I just, just want to encourage you to really think this week, is there somebody that God maybe has put in my life that might be ready to be invited at both of these services in a very simple way? We're going to just tell the good news about Jesus. We're going to preach in a way that someone who comes can hear this sim- the simple words about how Jesus died in a place of rebels for our sins, and on the third day he rose again. So I want to just encourage you to be thinking about where are you going to be in your week this week? And is there someone, as you get this on your way out, is there somebody that you might be able to to hand this off to? Our little passage closes with these words. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Do you know when Israel rebelled against God, They were sent into exile as consequence for their sin as God sought to woo them back to faithfully following him. And they hated Babylon. It was far from home. It was far from Jerusalem. They were a minority in the midst of, a minority group in the midst of this oppressive uh, majority group. They didn't want to be there. And they longed year after year, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. And you know what happened? One day, Somebody showed up, a live human, and here's what he said. It's time to go home. It's time to go home. We're going back to Jerusalem. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Can you imagine the experience of the people who had waited so long? If those preachers had beautiful feet, how much more the herald, the preacher who comes to a kim with the good news about a Jesus who saves, who forgives, who washes away resentment and bitterness and anger and fantasies of death and who offers the hope of eternal life and a resurrection in a new body with no more tears and no more burns and no more war and no more bombs. I want to be the kind of person who brings that good news to people like him. I need God's help I need reminders like this. I need the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that brings this good news to the people around us. Not knowing how people are going to respond, but trusting God to do his work when and where he will. How are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how
how are they to preach unless they're sent? O sent ones, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Would you stand with me? Let's have the band come back up. And you know, as we close this morning, we've been thinking about the kind of people that we want to be. What kind of a community do we want to be? What kind of a people do we want to be? And we are a community. We are a people. We're not, this isn't something that we just do on our own. This is a privilege that we have to walk out together. So as we close singing this song, we just thought, you know, how about if we, and we do this sometimes, anybody who would like to, come on up. Let's stand together up here. Let's join our voices together as a community, ex- just expressing that we're a people who are in this together. We've received Christ. We've been brought together. We're now members one of one of another. So as we sing, you can come on out of your aisles and, and rows and, and, and uh, seats and just anybody who wants to, you don't have to, but come on up and let's join our voices together.